You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hey, everyone. If you like this podcast, you should check out the full finance journey at realvision.com slash rvpod to get the full view of what Real Vision is all about. A video on-demand platform you can watch anywhere. Our members get daily videos and analysis, plus access to more than 3,000 videos for beginners and experienced investors alike, and live events online. You'll join the most thoughtful community in finance. More than 300,000 people who trust Real Vision to be the anchor to truth in the financial world. To get started, visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code PODCAST10 to get 10% off our essential membership for your first year. Enjoy the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I'm Andreas Steno Larsen, sending to you live from Copenhagen, Denmark, Wednesday, August 3rd. It's been another crazy day in markets. We have equities rallying once again, and I am pleased to be joined by Peter Bukwa, the CIO of Bleakly Advisory Group. Peter, it's good to have you back on the show. Welcome. Good to be back. Thanks. Peter, I, I wanted to start with um, a tweet from earlier today from our friend Ed Harrison. He basically quoted you, and now I'm reading out aloud. For decades, the Fed always gave the markets more candy, especially when the kids cried out for it. Now the kids are going to have to do without. Please elaborate. Yeah, I wrote that in my uh, my daily uh, book report, and I was really referring to a lot of the Fed speak that we got yesterday that resulted in the, the sharp jump in, uh, in interest rates across the curve, but particularly on the, on the short end where the two-year went up about 15 basis points uh, because the, the market started to have this belief and Powell sort of fed into it at their last press conference that the, the Fed was almost done raising interest rates and, and they're, they're at neutral even though they're not. Uh, and I think that they, they got a sort of a reminder that uh, the Fed is still intent on raising interest rates. That was reiterated today by Bullard, who was on CNBC, who wants a three and a half percent plus Fed funds rate by the by the end of the year. And when you look at the last couple of decades, it was always the markets that were given the candy that they wanted from the Fed. And every time the kid whined, uh, the, the the parent gave the kid more candy. And because of high inflation, even though it's probably peaking out and, and is going to start to uh, slow down, uh, there's still the belief that the, the Fed is going to give us more candy, but that inflation is why they're not going to. And, and I think that uh, that is something that these central bankers have tried to uh, in- reiterate and sort of reinforce the last couple of days. Uh, the markets are still sort of whistling past that, thinking that, okay, well, maybe so, but if we go into recession, you can be sure you're going to stop. And that's all we're looking for uh, on the buy side. So, so Peter, if we look at various sentiment scores at the moment, they, they look extremely downbeat. Um, and 
at the same time, we have the Federal Reserve now pushing back uh, on markets again with these hawkish comments. How can equities rally in such an environment? What's your take on that? Well, I think the, the, the setup for the rally uh, over the past month was firstly the, the, the contrarian setup where uh, you had in multiple sentiment gauges extreme bearishness, particularly investors' intelligence, uh, the AAII, where uh, bears were swamping the number of bulls. And I uh, saw that in other metrics as well. And that was a good setup for this. Then you throw in, of course, as I mentioned, about hopes that the Fed uh, is is almost done or is at least is slowing down the pace of the rate increases because they'll most likely hike 50 from uh, in September from the 75 basis point pace that they accelerated to over the prior two meetings and earnings that are beating lowered expectations and still the hopium that uh, we are going to have um, even if it's a recession, a mild one, that won't be a big deal and everything will be just fine. I think that's a setup for this. But in, in any bear market, which I still firmly believe that we're in, you're going to have these hope rallies uh, and, and it, with everyone thinking that uh, the worst is over. But if you just look at a chart, in particularly the NASDAQ, where tech is obviously a, a, a big driver of this rally, uh, all it is is just a rally into the downtrending line that, from the, the January peak. So I, I wouldn't um, be lulled into this. Uh, I also want to remind investors that in four weeks, September 1st, QT uh, ramps up to $95 billion a month. Uh, so good luck rallying uh, in the teeth of that. Peter, no one's talking about quantitative tightening at the moment. It's like everybody's sort of centered on these interest rate hikes. But beneath the surface, this balance sheet uh, withdrawal will basically continue throughout uh, the course of the second half of the year. Would you consider the balance sheet um, shrinkage from the Federal Reserve more important for asset markets than the discussion in interest rates? I, I think that, that QE in, in its, in its uh, purpose, stated purpose by Bernanke, who created the, the U.S. version of it uh, compared to how the bank ended it, uh, his stated purpose was to ease financial conditions and, and lift stock prices. So, well, if you're consistent and symmetric with that, uh, it should do the exact opposite uh, when we're in the middle of it. Now, we're obviously doing it right now, but on a pretty small scale. Uh, doubling it will, I, I think, uh, at some point get the market's uh, attention. Uh, on the rate side, I think the rate side and the actual movement in interest rates has more of an impact on actual economic activity. Yes, it does flow through to valuation models. It does flow through into pricing of credit spreads and, and, and valuations in stocks, no question. But in terms of a direct impact, I would say QE has a direct impact on stocks where uh, shifting the Fed funds rate and its sort of distribution effect on the rest of the yield curve has more uh, uh, of an impact on, firstly, the interest rate sensitive parts of the economy, like housing and autos, and, and more so indirectly in terms of the cost of capital, uh, generally speaking. Peter, we received a bunch of data today, and um, as we know by now, the Fed is now clearly data dependent, uh, looking at interest rates from meeting to meeting. Um, one of the key gauges out today was the ISM services gauge, um, and it actually 
uh, jumped to a three-month high. But if we look beneath the surface, the message is probably a little less upbeat. Do you think the Fed will take comfort in this uh, ISM report from today? The, the Fed will take comfort in any economic data point that doesn't badly deteriorate because it, 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 they'll feel like it sort of buys them time to continue this, this, this rate hiking and buys them time to when eventually inflation does start to recede. Uh, so that, that gets into their, their tolerance of a softer economy. It's when things start to accelerate uh, in this situation that they start to get worried when you start to see a notable increase in the unemployment rate. But the ISM, just for context, did the, the, the bounce came off the lowest level since 2020. And the market, IHS market read of U.S. services for July came in at 47.3. So that was firmly below 50. And the IHS market number is, is broader in its, in, its, in its survey. It includes a lot of small, medium-sized businesses as well, where ISM is more focused on bigger companies. And you're sort of seeing that bifurcation generally in the economy. You have higher income people that are managing this inflation situation better than lower income people. You're going to have bigger companies that are going to outperform smaller companies just because they have the resources, they have the buying power, they have the leverage uh, in terms of, of its supply chain. Uh, you know, just think that if you're going to try to get a container, uh, well, you're in the back of the line compared to Walmart if you're just a local retailer. So that, that's my, my sort of my point there. But we have to also understand that, you know, the economy doesn't all grow at once, all contract at once. You know, it has its own internal cycles in a broader cycle. And, you know, as we, we talked about before this interview, it, it's not a light switch. You just turn on and off. It's either recession or expansion. You know, there's, there's a dimmer. There's a lot of in-between. And I think we're beginning to see, obviously putting aside the, the two negative prints in GDP, sort of this, this, this and, and I know in the world of COVID, it's, it's bad to use the word virus, but let's use the word virus here, is that it, the, the COVID didn't infect the whole world all at once. It was something that, that sort of spread and metastasized. And we have, we have that going on in the economy. It's starting out in certain pockets, starting out in weakness in housing, as I mentioned, in lower income spending, uh, smaller businesses are getting impacted, but it's, it's going to start to metastasize because then that flows into capital spending decisions, which is beginning to weaken. We saw very poor prints in some of the regional manufacturing numbers in terms of their six month outlook. Uh, and then we have to see, okay, when does it start impacting the, the higher end consumer? When does it start impacting broader business. Well, it is impacting broader business. We've seen the advertising business is getting, uh, is getting clipped as companies use that lever first to, to cut costs and, and readjust their, 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 their budget. So it is beginning to spread. And that's why this whole debate about is a recession, not a recession, technical, not, or, it's all semantics. The trajectory of growth is down and it is spreading. And how you want to define it and how you want to time it, I think is right now irrelevant. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. 
Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Peter, if we look at the current growth pace in Q3, um, I wanted to play a soundbite for you uh, from a debate I had with David Wu, um, the former head of strategy at Bank of America earlier today. Um, he's arguing that Q3 will be a strong quarter. So let's listen to his argumentation and get back to that debate. So if you look across the market, I would argue the market doesn't understand the world has changed. The market doesn't want to think about these longer term issues. Okay. Yeah. I realize that the earnings season so far has been pretty good. Right. And by the way, the earnings season, the fact it's been pretty good overall tells me that we are not okay, that we're not in a recession. I was the first one to say there was going to be a recession in the U.S. before Thanksgiving. I said this already back in basically March. By my view, the recession's already ended. The recession started in Q1, continued Q2, but it's already ended. I think Q3, the economy is going to do okay. Okay, because the price shock, okay, associated with energy and food, you know, would have dissipated in Q3, which means the moderation of inflation, which means you're going to actually see a pickup in real GDP growth because you're going to see actually a pickup in real, basically, income growth. But that would only strengthen the need for the Fed to keep going. <laughs> so, and then, so that's why for me, Q4 is when the reckoning is really going to come. The, the entire discussion between David Wu and I will be available on Monday on the Real Vision uh, platform for Plus Pro and Essential subscribers. Uh, a lot of good stuff also on the current situation in Taiwan. Peter, back to you and um, your take on the Q3 growth pace. Uh, if we take the ISM report today at face value, it looks as if the economy is still growing. Are we in a recession or not? What's your take? Well, it, it's, I think inventories are, are a key swing factor. Uh, for We saw uh, inventories in the first and second quarters uh, with brags. And uh, I think, yeah, maybe if we, we, we're, we, are, we have been seeing an inventory build. So if that shows up in Q3, maybe that gives us a lift. The question is, is what the offsets are going to be in terms of consumer spending on a real basis. Uh, well, obviously, everything is on a real basis when looking at that uh, and how capital spending is. Housing is obviously going to be shrinking still. Uh, I think we're all seeing broader capital spending uh, within some of the regional manufacturing surveys that are looking squishy. And to me, consumer spending, maybe it's going to get a lift in travel and leisure, just as we saw in the second quarter number with Europe. Um, but if we do see a plus number in Q3, uh, I expect it to be barely. And then we'll start to resume uh, the fourth quarter contraction after we sort of run down this, this jump in inventories, because I think companies are going to be pretty good at clearing out some of their excess inventories. Because keep in mind, a lot of this excess inventories was just they were making the assumption that COVID spending trends would continue, and that it was obviously not the case. But uh, in an inflationary environment, you put you put a for sale sign in front of something, it's going to sell pretty quickly. Uh, but I still think that the general trajectory of economic activity is slowing. And also, when you I've argued this for a while, is that we we have credit cycles now. We don't have normal economic cycles, and these credit cycles are driven by the cost of capital. And, 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 and what the Fed does. And when rates go up, it squeezes things and grows slows. And when the Fed eases, it eases things and things grow. 
So to think that we're going to somehow grow through the most aggressive rate hiking cycle in 40 years and a pretty rapid increase uh, just generally in market rates, I, I, I just think is such wish, wishful thinking. We all hope we do. We don't want to see a recession. We don't want to see this downturn. But in a, in a very uh, interest rate sensitive, easy money sensitive economy, uh, I don't see how we just sort of coast right through what's going on here. The Fed probably now tracks the most lagging of lagging indicators, namely the unemployment rate and also the spot inflation from month to month. If we get a decent Q3, will that allow the Fed to hike interest rates into Q4 and maybe into Q1 next year? I think I think the Fed wants to get the Fed funds rate to about three and a half. Well, they're going to get it to three in September, and then they'll they'll sort of play it by ear from there. Uh, and this sort of ties into what they think what the neutral rate is, even though the neutral rate is just some made-up cockamamie econometric model number that they spit out. And people have to understand that a 2.5% neutral rate is under the assumption of 2% inflation and 4% unemployment rate. If you have the unemployment rate below 4% and you have inflation much higher, then the neutral rate is clearly well above 2.5%. I think the Fed, in terms of what will guide them on when they stop raising interest rates will not be GDP, it will be the unemployment rate. And if the unemployment rate goes from 3.6, we'll obviously see the updated number on Friday. Uh, if all of a sudden it goes to four and a half rather quickly, uh, that will, will, will ring alarm bells there. Now four and a half historically is very low, but when you have the participation rate as low as it is, that helps to explain that you're not gonna need necessarily high unemployment rate historically speaking, in order to, to, to see a, a notable decline uh, in, in, in the jobs market. I mean, we're already seeing, speaking of the labor market and this lagging type data, uh, initial jobless claims are at the highest level since November. And yes, on an absolute basis, the pace of firings is, is, is relatively uh, uh, modest, but the trajectory in that is also clear. Again, the highest level, actually it's eight months, it's highest level since November. So the pace of firings is clearly going up. And just keep in mind the mentality of a business and getting to your point about lagging is that if, if I'm running a, law, a, a local business and my business starts to slow, I'm not, I don't just start firing people. I take a step back. I try to cut some costs. Uh, I try to maybe delay some of my, my capital spending plans. And then, and then at some point things don't get better. Maybe you know, I limit hiring. And then after going through that exercise, and things aren't getting better, and if they're getting worse, that only then do I start to fire people. And 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 the reverse is true. Uh, on the flip side, when you decide to hire, so that's why it's a very much a lagging indicator. And and it's just amazes me how the Federal Reserve and all these trained economists continue to conduct policy based on what they see, but what they see is behind them. And all you have to do is look at a chart since the 1950s and see that recessions begin soon after a bottom in the unemployment rate. So it was a Fed governor, Chris Waller, who maybe it was three weeks ago, who was like scratching his head in an interview, like, I can't, I can't foresee a recession with the unemployment rate only at 3.6%. I'm thinking, Chris, just, just look at a chart. Look, look at the history of this stuff. It, it, you shouldn't be scratching your head. These are the times when you should be preparing for one, 
not wondering and, and, and thinking that it's not possible. Peter, if, um, if I allow myself to play the devil's advocate here uh, for a short while, we have a bunch of job openings still in the U.S. We got the latest uh, number uh, from June, was it yesterday, uh, albeit with a, a drop compared to May, but still at extremely elevated levels when we look at job openings. Could this be a game changer for the labor market compared to earlier cycles? Yeah, I mean, th there are a lot of unique characteristics to what's going on in the economy where you have tech companies that are either limiting hiring or firing the excessive uh, number of workers they took on in this expansion. But at the same time, you have restaurants and hotels and, uh, and, and airports and airlines that can't find enough people. So there is this, there is some, you know, strange dynamics within the labor market, but also there, there are strange dynamics when it comes to you know, the inventory situation. So you have Target and Walmart and other retailers that overordered what they thought was going to be a continuation of trend of spending on all these goods, and they got stuck with excess stuff. But then you have some purposeful increases in inventory because people don't want to get stuck again with a lack of inventory, particularly like you look at the balance sheet inventory numbers with Mattel and Hasbro, they've, they've gone up sharply because they don't want to play a game with Christmas again. They don't want stuff showing up in January. They want their, their toys on the shelves in September and October, uh, early November, the latest, for that Christmas holiday. So they pulled forward a lot of their, their inventory build because of this more different uh, environment that we're in. So there are definite cross currents here. And I think that's also what's making it somewhat confusing and trying to figure out where the economy goes from here. You know, you listen to the CEO of Starbucks last night in their conference call. Oh yeah, everything's fine. We're not seeing any any trade down behavior. Our consumers are still spending as is. And then you know you hear from from Verizon and AT and T, and consumers are are delaying paying their cell phone bills. And McDonald's acknowledging that people are trading down. Uh, so th th there is there is a, um, a a lot of mixed signals here. But that also gets to my point that it, it doesn't go from expansion to contraction just like that. It, it, it starts to show up in different areas and then starts to spread. And, and I think that we have to be prepared for more spreading. David Wu also mentioned uh, a potential day of reckoning during Q4 as a consequence of the Fed forcefully hiking interest rates through Q3. Would you concur with such a timing for the next sell-off in equities? Well, I... Yeah, well, it, it, it could happen. I, I think we don't have to. Yeah, I, I mean, it's going to coincide with QT ramping up. Um, I mean, when QT ramps up and we still are feeling the impacts of a lot of these interest rate hikes and inflation, while will moderate, will still remain sticky. Um, yeah, th this is just a, a bear market rally and, and come fall is when you start to roll over again. And, 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 and talk about inflation and, you know, getting back to the Fed's vigilance, the newfound vigilance, I, should, I would say. If, if so, we, we've had the first six months we've seen CPI. We'll see the July number in, in, in a week. If you have so, if you have zero inflation, zero month over month for the next six months, the December year over year print will still be above six percent. Now we're not going to see zero. So let's just say we're going to see two tenths of a percent every month for the next six month prints through the end of the year. The December CPI year over year will be up seven and a half percent. So we're still dealing with the sticky, persistent 
inflation that I think is going to be an issue for profit margins still, even though things are easing up. Uh, and, and, and I think still growth is only going to uh, continue to slow. And then it gets to the question of how deep is this slowdown going to be? Maybe it'll be mild. Maybe it'll be not. Is it going to be lengthy? Is it going to be short? And um, I think it'll be somewhat mild, but lengthy. I don't think we, we get out of this so quickly, again, because I think inflation is going to remain persistent and, and the Fed's not going to be there. You know, the candy man is not going to be there so quickly uh, to go back to how we started this with, with what I wrote this morning uh, to, to sort of bail us out with rate cuts. They'll try, but I don't think it's necessarily going to have uh, the impact that's intended. Peter, speaking of inflation, uh, if we look at the prices paid component of the ISM report today, it actually uh, declined quite a bit compared to last month. We had the same signal from the manufacturing sector earlier this week. Would you consider such signals uh, a hint that actual inflation is now decelerating? It, it definitely is on the good side. But we saw that with, with CPI a month ago where we saw the rate of change in core goods prices moderate for the fourth straight month. It was offset, though, by a further acceleration in services. So we are going to continue to see a slowdown in the rate of increase in goods. It's just a question of how much it's offset by, like I said, services. And it's going to be offset to a great extent because rental increases are still going to show up in CPI for a while, even though actual rent growth on a year-over-year basis because of just consumers saying, you know, getting sticker shock and just the rate of change, the comp's getting tougher. Uh, so rents are going to start to slow, but within the CPI and PC calculations, they're going to continue to accelerate. You know, but as I mentioned, even if inflation is zero through the end of the year, for the full year, it's still going to be north of 6%. But yes, we have basically peaked in inflation and it is going to slow, but it, the, even if it starts to slow, the, the, the embedded inflation still in the system will take us time to work through, both in terms of consumer behavior, uh, business profit margins, and, and, and the level of interest rates and the ability of the Fed to, to, to respond to any deeper slowdown in the economy. We're going to take another quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. We've received a bunch of questions uh, in relation to this inflation debate over the past few days here at Real Vision. Uh, one of them um, centered around the um, sort of disconnect that we see between the natural gas price still being within spitting distance of all-time highs, and then the landslide that we've seen in, for example, the wheat price, so food prices in general. What do you make of that divergence? Because usually we see a pretty tight correlation between the two. Yeah, it, you do, uh, but I think because of, of the influence of, of, of Russia and, and on the energy side and someone on the, on the grain side, and of course Ukraine on the grain side is, has thrown some mud into, into this analysis and, and calculation. And uh, you, you know you're not in normal times when, um, when natural gas prices on a, on a U.S. or a million BTU equivalent basis is about 60 
and 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 in the U.S. we're paying about eight. Uh, that's a highly unusual situation. And we have to also keep in mind there, there's this like belief that commodity prices go up. That's inflationary. Once they come down, everything's fine. It's deflationary. But it's we have to understand that. Well, if, if, I, if I'm Kellogg's and I buy a lot of wheat, and let's just to say I'm on hedge because Kellogg's does hedge a lot of their 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 grain exposure, and and wheat prices go up sharply, and even if they come in off their highs, even if they come in 20, 30%, but they're still well off their lows, I have a higher cost structure than what I had before. And when it spiked, I couldn't immediately pass that on throughout my supply chain into, into my vendors and, and into my, my customers being the retailers because they wouldn't accept a sharp increase in my prices. I, ha- I, would, I would layer in those price increases. And that's what a lot of companies have done. They, they've pieced out. I mean, you look at some companies, they've raised prices three, four, five different times because they couldn't do it all at once. So I think it's good that we're seeing some relief on the food side, unfortunately not on the natural gas side. We're obviously seeing relief on the, on the oil side and the gasoline side and what drivers are paying, which is a good thing, no question. But that doesn't mean that the inflation story just goes away. It is a relief off the pressure point. It is a relief off the boil, but it's still at a level that keeps interest rates elevated, keeps central banks that will continue to hike because they're still so far off sides. And all I like to do is look at you know the ECB. I'm not even going to talk about the Bank of Japan because they are you know sort of like robotically staying in place. But you know the ECB that's dealing with inflation north of eight percent and they've raised at zero. You know, e- e- even if the price of oil went down to 70 and wheat prices went to you know $12 a bushel, is, is, is the ECB still having an issue with zero uh, interest rate policy. So um, keep in mind, again, like, and I'm saying this in the context of going into COVID and this inflation burst, is that the world sat on a foundation of 1% to 2% inflation and zero and negative interest rates. So even if you go down to an, an inflation level of 3 to 4%, that is a new regime because that will also imply interest rates that are well above what we were before. And so we're not just going to just go back to the way we were um, pre-COVID, both on the rate side, the inflation side, the profit margin side, and, and the multiple side because of this in terms of markets. Peter, we have a question uh, from uh, the audience uh, related to the LIBOR rate. Um, the LIBOR rate increased to the highest levels that we've seen since 2008, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and uh, the viewer here asks you whether there is sort of an embedded uh, liquidity risk scenario um, in, in the current pricing of LIBOR. So I, I, there was no doubt that in 07, 08, you know, you'd look at LIBOR and it was a great sort of stress measure. And uh, certainly LIBOR, um, you know, and, and it's spread to uh, the risk-free rate. It, w- it was definitely whenever that spread wide and people were worried about the banking system and so on. I think, I think this time around, it's really just following Fed policy. And it's just sort of just lagging uh, or, or really moving coincident with the increase in, in, in the Fed funds rate rather than being uh, a metric of, of, of bank financial stress. Hmm. Um, there's a question uh, also in relation to um, 
the gold position that you apparently have on, uh, according to the viewer here. Um, he's asking you, uh, despite the inflation that we've seen, uh, the long gold trade didn't go anywhere. Uh, will it perform better in a Fed pivot scenario compared to what we've just, just been through? Yeah, it's been hugely disappointing because the, the, because of the actions of, of the Fed and other central banks, or some other central banks, not all, um, in their 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 rate increases that led to uh, you know a good size rally in the dollar as well. So that that's been uh, the factor in in the price of gold. The physical demand for gold has been strong for the last couple of years. It's just the paper price of gold. You know, definitely gets 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 jerked around by uh, where interest rates are and and where the dollar is, and so then it begs the question: Okay, it's been definitely disappointing up to this point. What would be the point of continuing to hold gold if inflation now is going to start to slow down? And I argue that inflation that real rates, which are more negative than what we saw in the 1970s, if you look at spot CPI, spot inflation relative to short rates. Uh, rather than looking at the tips for your your real interest rate metric, uh, and that real interest rates are still going to be pretty well embedded, and God knows when we'll see positive real interest rates, uh, at least in the U.S. and certainly in Europe and, and 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 other parts that have interest rates very low. And you know, you look at the dollar because that's obviously going to be a big influence on where gold goes. And we can all debate whether the dollar is going to go up or down from here, but I think it's important to, to debate what the factors were in, in creating this rally in the dollar. You know, up until a couple of months ago, the dollar rally was really against the pound, the euro, and the yen. It traded poorly against a lot of the other commodity currencies. I mean, it wasn't too long ago, early this year, where the Brazilian real was at a multi-year high uh, against the dollar, both because of higher commodity prices, but also because the Brazilian central bank was very aggressive in raising interest rates. But then when the Fed even stepped up its, its interest rate uh, pattern, to 75 basis points, uh, then the dollar started to rally against everything. And it was a ferocious rally, no question about it. And that was certainly a wet blanket on gold and silver. But now that other central banks have caught up and got more aggressive, Swiss National Bank surprised us, the ECB surprised us getting rates back to zero. The Bank of England's going to raise interest rates by 50 basis points uh, this week um, from, from the pace of 25. Uh, Bank of Canada surprised us with a 100 basis point rate hike uh, from 75 that the dollar is now beginning to look a little bit toppy, which tells me, well, if the dollar rally is just, was just an interest rate differential thing, predominantly, obviously it's got its own unique thing with Europe because of, of what they're dealing with in energy prices and so on. But if it's just an interest rate differential thing, well, well, the Fed is now slowing the pace of their rate increases most likely, and other central banks are catching up. So maybe this dollar rally doesn't have much traction left. And if the case combining with deeply negative real interest rates, uh, then maybe gold uh, gets its legs back. You know, I've made it my trademark to always conclude the Real Vision Daily Briefing with a meme, Peter. Um, and today's meme relates to the price action that we've seen in bond markets through July. Uh, it seems as if at least the bond market is zooming in on the recession risks now. Uh, but at the same time, equities look more towards the hope that we get a uh, soft landing. So let's see whether this divergence between the bond market focus and the, the equity market focus will dissipate again over the coming months. Uh, Peter, it was a pleasure to host you again today. Thanks you for joining uh, the Real Vision Daily Briefing.
Thanks for having me. Always a fun conversation. We will uh, be back tomorrow. My colleague, um, Maggie Lake, will host Darius Dale. Uh, it was a pleasure to be on air with you uh, today, Peter. Uh, thank you for watching out there. We'll be back tomorrow. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.